Welcome to the Carry On Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Dave Beckwith. Mr. Beckwith is a Republican candidate for U.S. Congress in Virginia District 10. He grew up in the D.C. area with a 30-year career as an Air Force officer. Mr. Beckwith is not a politician. He's a public servant who has dedicated his life to the interests of America and its people. And as we know, I love to highlight veteran congressional candidates on Carry On Podcast. So welcome to the show, Mr. Beckwith. Thank you very much for having me today, Carrie. If we could start out, uh, well, if you could talk a little bit about your military career. Uh, sure. Um, as you, as I said, I spent 30 years in the Air Force. I was an engineer, so I spent most of my time working on new, new systems, new capabilities um, for the Air Force. And then later in my career for uh, the intelligence community. So that ranged from uh, working on upgrades to aircraft, like the C-130, or aircraft loaders, which helped our uh, logistical flow, which is, as we've seen in Russia, logistics is a really important part of fighting our fighting wars and winning wars. And then later in my career, I moved into the space business. Which is a, um, which is one of the reasons I got into the Air Force in the first place was a passion for space. And so I, um, got to work on weather satellites and then eventually made my way to the National Reconnaissance Office, which builds the nation's intelligence satellites, which the NRO likes to call the, uh, eyes and ears of the nation. Um, it watches over our adversaries to understand from uh, what we can from space, understand uh, what they're doing and, and what their intentions are. So I was able to do that for the last eight years of my career. And then I retired from the military and spent one year out in industry, but then um, just really felt like I needed to get back into public service. And I was able to go get a, come back to the NRO as the uh, deputy systems engineer for the National Reconnaissance Office and continue to work on my passion of space and protecting our nation. Wow, very impressive career. Um, so tell me a little bit about your family. You're married and you have a couple daughters, I believe? Yes, I'm married. I um, met my wife in uh, junior high school. Um, we dated through high school and she went off to uh, Virginia Tech where she got her uh, degree in electrical engineering. And I went to the University of Notre Dame where I went through our Air Force ROTC and then aerospace engineering. We got married right after college, and she followed me around uh, the country to all my different assignments. And through that time, we ended up having three children, and our daughter, who's our oldest, and then two sons. Uh, back in 1998, she made the decision to homeschool our three children, and homeschooling was um, not quite as accepted as it is today. Um, so we, we definitely had some, uh, relatives who <laughs> were struggling with what we were trying to do, but it ended up working out just great for us. Um, she did give up her career in engineering for about 20 years while she homeschooled our children and they all went off to college. Um, the oldest went to uh, Arizona state and the two younger ones, uh, the two boys went to Virginia tech where they both got computer engineering degrees. And all three of them are married and living in uh, the Northern Virginia area. Okay. So now for the big question that I'm sure you get all the time is what made you decide to run for office? 
So that's a great question. I, I had never been involved in politics and um, I've always been kind of a closet political junkie. So probably those two things coming together help, but obviously in the military and the government, I didn't bring that into the workplace. Um, but over the last year or so, I kind of looked at where the nation was going. Afghanistan was very traumatic. I know it's several of the other candidates who are running in different districts, including district 10. Afghanistan was just, you know, mind numbing for people. The fact that we uh, could walk away from and leave a nation uh, that we spent so much blood, sweat and tears on in such a bad condition was shocking to me. But then I also looked at um, the the, uh, defund police movement. I looked at uh, the progressive movement in education. And then I also looked at um, what I saw in terms of the spending, out of control spending, the giveaway programs. And I just felt this wasn't the nation that I wanted to leave to my children as they were graduating from college and starting their own careers. And I felt this was a time in my life that I could step out of my public service at the National Reconnaissance Office and and offer all I've learned over the last 30 years um, to go represent the District 10 in Congress and try and move our nation in a very different direction, Um, rebuilding a strong economy getting rid of a stifling inflation, rebuilding our military, which is not postured for the threats that we currently are facing. And then also really pushing a freedom agenda to try and get the federal government out of our lives. And the mask mandate and the vaccine mandate was was really um, just very hard to see the way that was rolled out at the federal level. I had several friends, one in particular who decided not to get vaccinated for religious reasons and seeing the way he was, he was treated um, within the government was very, very appalling to me. And I really struggled with that. And that's, that's what drove me to want to make, try and get into politics and make a change. And do you feel, how do you feel that veterans bring a different perspective to the table? I know you touched on that a little bit, but we do see a lot, a lot more veteran candidates um, coming up for, Candidacy, and how do you feel that, uh, I imagine, you know, I'm a veteran too. How do you feel like we bring something different to the table? Yeah, and thank you for your service. Um, and you too, great, as well. It's a, I think they bring, I think they bring a different perspective. Um, even though we're, we're in the government, so we, we see a lot of the inefficiencies that comes with being in the government. I think the military brings a different passion for mission and protecting the nation. And regardless of the other challenges we have, we're always thinking about what's the right thing for the nation, what's the best thing for our country. And I think that's that's a different view that I think veterans bring, can bring to Congress that I can think can help the country be put on a better, a better uh, plane, a better path forward. Definitely. I definitely agree. Um, Tom, let's talk about the primaries because I was looking into your primaries and they're, correct me if I'm wrong, they're May 21st and there's 11 candidates. Yes, May 21st, and there are 11 candidates. It's crazy. About, I know about half of them probably got in after January 1st, or at least announced after January 1st. So what's happened in our district that I think has led to a lot of excitement is we had a pretty big redistricting in Virginia, and the 10th district is very different from the 10th district from two years ago. So I think a lot of people are excited by that. It looks much more winnable for a Republican, even before 
um, the disasters we've seen over the last six months as well. And I think the other thing, I think, which is even different, and I've been telling people, this is like the canary in the coal mine. I think if you're a Republican who wants to change the direction of the country, what you're seeing in the 10th district is a great sign because so many people are running. It's not that they're running just because they want to win. It's that they're running because they're so frustrated and fed up with the direction our country's going in. And we see so many people stepping out of really outstanding private lives where they're really contributing to the nation, but wanting to step into politics. I think it's a great sign for the nation. And I think it's a great sign of what's coming up next, what's going to hit the country in, in November. Well, I had looked at running for office in Marcy Captors district in Ohio, but uh, we're redistricting, but it's not going to be finalized after the primary. So I'm going to wait. And she's, um, she's been in office for 40 years since I was born. So it's definitely interesting to see. Um, and there's uh, five Republicans in that primary. So it's like you said, it's interesting to see the people that are coming out that just want to see it change. Um, who do you think is your biggest um, comp- competitor in the uh, for Republicans in the primary? So there, there are probably four or five candidates who are running, I think, really competitive races and have hired some uh, some professional talent, and that really shows. Um, I think that what I've always the person who's best funded right now is Janine Lawson, and she is a supervisor in Prince William County. She's been a, a, a she's been a supervisor for eight years, so I think she's the presumptive favorite. But there are certainly a lot of other candidates who have raised some amount of money and are um, are putting in a good showing. And she is uh, probably the uh, she's the politician, if you will, in the race. And I would say most of the other candidates are are like me, stepped out of a, a different career field to try politics. And are you the only veteran in the group? No, there are two other veterans. Okay. There's a Navy veteran and another Air Force veteran. Okay. All right. Um, and I wanted to ask you, so as far as redistricting goes, do you think that re- the redistricting uh, is in your favor or is it really... It really doesn't factor into this. No, the redistricting really made this district much more winnable. It went from about, this is from when, uh, for Biden, it went from about a plus 15 Biden district to about plus five. Okay. So it's, it's uh, I think people view it as very winnable right now. And the other thing is about half the district, half of the people in the district, um, are new to the district. So it's, it'll be the first time they voted for the incumbent, uh, Jennifer Wexton. So that, that also, I think is every, so whoever wins the primary is going to be, uh, competing for people who have never voted for Jennifer Wexton, which is a positive as well. Yeah. That was my next question. Let's talk about Jennifer Wexton. Um, tell me your thoughts on her and some of the things that you see, uh, that you would like to, that you would like to see changed. Um, from what she's currently doing right now? So she has been a down-the-line uh, vote for the Biden administration uh, policies, which means, you know, supporting his proposal to have the largest tax increase in history, supporting his proposal to blow out the budget, supporting his proposal to underfund the military, supporting all his policies that have led to a huge amount of inflation, and she's also one of the things I found as I've gone around the district is she is not very responsive to um, to her constituents. 
Um, now, perhaps that's because I'm talking mostly on the Republican side, but of course she represents the whole district. And she is, is not viewed very favorably by the people I'm talking to in terms of how she has handled her district. So I think there's a lot of positive uh, change that could come. Um, and I think that she is not a vote for moving the country in the right direction, whereas I think um, I would be a vote to move the move the uh, country in a very different direction that I think it needs to go in. Um, yeah, and I would like to go back to the military a little bit. Uh, what would you like to see? We've seen a lot happen in the military in the last, um, well, I guess it's only been a, under just under a year now um, with a lot of the, the the vaccine issues and what would you like to see uh, change or what would you like to see strengthened in the military moving forward from here? Well, I think a lot of the priorities that the military, uh, that the Department of Defense has put on the military is driving the wrong uh, focus for the military. Things like um, in the, in the budget that the president just proposed, um, we're going to end up getting fewer Navy ships than we had that we have today, but he's still able to, but the president's still able to propose spending over $9 billion on green, green new energy investments in the military. And of course we're focused on, which is some of the things I experienced, which, you know, um, education, how, you know, people doing things that make us more, um, more open to people who are different than us. That's great training. We love that. But CRT training that's really focused on if you're a certain race, that brings you certain amount of either uh, power or not power. So CRT training has really, I think, turned off a lot of the military. I know there are a lot of parents who hesitate to recommend sending their, you know, recommend their kids going into the military. So we really need to change that culture around if we if we want our all volunteer work uh, our all volunteer military to be successful, and of course the mandates for vaccinations I think were just ridiculous. Um, when you look at the the potential outcomes for our military members by their age group by their health, um, the vaccine mandate was was not required was not necessary, and it has caused. A, a number of people to be uh, either discharged or threatened with discharge, which is obviously not a healthy way to be running an all volunteer military. Yeah, I agree. And I think the vaccine mandate has, has just really killed morale. Um, you know, obviously not active duty, but I think it's really killed morale in the last year because they had to get the packets together to chapter. And I can't imagine being, I was a company commander and I'm sure you were many times, um, but the getting those packets together and trying to like chapter out um, half of your or whatever percentage will not get the shot. I can't imagine how much that has taken away from actual mission. So right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I saw that on the civilian side. And by the way, I thought our leadership was as um, at the NRO was as caring as possible, given you know, all of the requirements and uh, all of the presidential directives they had to follow. But at the end of the day, it was a very cruel uh, process that really cornered people who did not want to get vaccinated for religious reasons or medical reasons. Yeah. And I think it really put a target on their back. And, um, and I don't know, I, I had just heard on the news that they were starting to chapter soldiers out. Um, so I don't know. Do you think that they will end up doing that? 
I'm hopeful they won't. Uh, I was hopeful all along. I, I remember last fall, um, since I was in a leadership role, just talking to my wife before I went to work one day and saying, you know, if it comes down to me that I have to make a recommendation that someone will be fired because they won't get vaccinated, I told her, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And if that causes me to lose my job, um, is that okay? And she, she of course said yes. Now, I'll say, luckily for me, it never came down to me having to make that call. When I, when I was asked, can we accommodate? I always said, yes, we can accommodate somebody who has a reason they don't want to get vaccinated. But it was, um, but so I kept thinking the whole time, this can't possibly, uh, happen. And then courts got involved. So that did slow things down. And I'm just hopeful where we are today. I mean, we, the only reason to separate either government or military would be out of spite, right? In my opinion. Uh, so hopefully we, we will, saner heads will prevail. Yes, I hope you're right. I want to go into depth about a few other topics. Um, can you talk to me about your thoughts on economy? And I know we talked a little bit about some of the things Jennifer Wexton's been doing, but can we talk a little bit about your thoughts on getting the economy back on track? Yes, absolutely. That's one of the biggest things I, I've been talking about as I've been out on the campaign trail. And inflation is really the lens I've been using on the economy. Unfortunately, inflation's because of the mistakes we've made, inflation is going to be around for a while. But what I believe we need to do, you know, the plan I have for inflation, which I think is all we can accomplish all of that with a Republican Congress, is we need to really do three things. The first thing we need to do is stop the uncertainty that's really locking business and entrepreneurs, uh, basically locking them down, making them not want to do investments. And that's all the regulation coming out of the Biden administration. I think the estimate was about $280 billion of new regulations that business have to sort through came out of the administration last year. And then the second thing is we need to lock in the tax code. Unfortunately, in the budget the president just proposed, he's again, he's again proposing to raise uh, the business tax to 28% from 21. So businesses right now don't understand what their return on investment is going to be. Um, I heard from somebody, a couple of businesses have this as a, a, you know, a risk. They're holding money in case uh, this uncertainty ends up happening. So that's causing business not to invest in new opportunities. The second thing we need to do is the runaway spending. That is definitely one of the things that's caused too much money to be chasing too few goods, which is the core of inflation. It's all of this uh, extra federal spending that we're getting. We ought to shoot for a balanced budget with the only additional spending, in my opinion, should be defense. Uh, so we ought to be stopping all the growth in, in spending. And then the third thing we really need to do is flood the economy with American energy. And, you know, it's so obvious that we need to do that. It's painful to watch the administration come up with excuses for why they want to buy oil from any other bad actor in the world. Uh, and, or, and they want to use more corn. They want, that was the article today, more ethanol. The only thing they don't want to do is unleash our own entrepreneurial um, oil and gas producers to produce more oil and gas. And, and that's what we really need to do to get this economy turned around. And then 
when we do that, the Federal Reserve is going to have a lot more running room to free up, um, to, to raise rates and to suck up some of the excess currency, excess money they put out into the economy. Um, and then what are your thoughts on uh, Russia and China? So um, that is why I believe we really need to revamp our military, quit worrying about global warming and our military and focus on China and Russia. Um, We are not postured right now for a uh, two-peer competitor uh, environment in the South China Sea and in Europe, especially when those two are um, basically aligned with each other. Our military, we have, um, I think, uh, we have about 290 Navy vessels for going for ships. We're going down to about 280 in the current budget. China is over 300 ships and they're going up to the mid 300s on their building spree. And of course we have worldwide uh, commitments and China's focused on one area in the globe. So we are heavily overmatched in terms of our footprint. And we also are falling behind in various different areas so we are, they are a serious threat. And um, although what's happened in Ukraine has been remarkable, um, but that's really been caused by just incredible Ukrainian spirit and leadership. But Putin has his eyes on trying to undermine NATO. And of course, China has its eyes set on breaking out into Taiwan and then uh, out into the Pacific. And we need to have a military that will deter both of those threats to our national security, and more importantly, that will um, ensure we they don't that we never have to use our military. We need to get back to that peace through strength uh, perspective. And I would propose about a one to two percent increase in spending above the rate of inflation for the military, and then working hard to find efficiencies within within the military department, which we both know there's a lot of inefficiencies. And this is also really moving us away from the insurgency um, posture we've been in to really a peer competitor uh, footprint that we really need to move to. So we need more, more, we need more ships. We need more aircraft. We need to defend ourselves in space, which is becoming uh, a place of warfare. And then we need the army and the Marines to have the funding they need to really free, reframe their militaries for that pure competitor threat. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, I did want to go back to uh, real quick into education in Virginia. What um, are you focused on as far as um, improving education? Uh, Because the education has become such a a huge issue with parents getting involved. And what uh, is your plan for education in the district? Yeah, so that's a great, that's a really good question. That that is, uh, there's some things that just came out today. In fact, Um, looks like there's a potential grand jury that's being stood up to look at some of the issues that came out of Loudoun County last week. That was just hit my phone right before we got on. Uh, the governor, I believe, of Virginia is um, is putting the whole school board up for election this year instead of next year. Wow, so I did not know that. Interesting. There's some big things going on here, uh, thanks to Governor Youngkin's uh, following through on all of his campaign uh, commitments. But for me, as a homeschool dad, you know, we homeschooled our kids from kindergarten to high school. When we started that, we saw the cracks forming in the school system. And when we got here in Virginia, we kept homeschooling. 
because we kind of saw those things. Well, those cracks have turned into a Grand Canyon between critical race theory, between uh, LBG, LGBTQ agenda, uh, boys in restrooms and girls restrooms, sports, all those things have really turned our public schools into a major, major issue here. So although we decided to make that commitment to homeschool, and by the way, homeschooling, I believe the latest stat I heard, this is up to about 11% of uh, students here in Virginia. Is uh, that high uh, for? It was about 5% pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, that's a very high number. It's typically been, I think, under 5%. So a lot of people are adopting homeschooling and there's a lot of homeschool groups that, that we participate in the area. But I know everyone's not able to homeschool. So what I'm really pushing is school choice. There's a lot of emphasis on electing the right people to school boards, changing curriculum, changing books. But I really feel like you need to get school choice in place because what we really need to do is change the, the structure where the parents have the ability to take their tax funding dollars that um, are just educate their students. And if their students aren't getting a good education or they're not safe, they ought to be able to take that money and go to a different school, whether that's another public school, a private school, a charter school, um, all those things should be on the table for them to, uh, to go make sure their children are getting the right education. So to me, it's all about uh, school choice. Now in Congress, I w- I'm also a um, a big Tenth Amendment person, which is get the federal government out of our lives and just have the federal government focus on what they should be doing. So with school choice, you know, my view is we we should be ensuring that the education department, with when we fund that department, we make sure that none of that funding can be used to discourage or to work against school choice in states. And then the funding that goes to states, we need to make clear that that can be used by the governors to support school choice if that's if that's the law that they passed in their state. And then all the whole congressional dish, the whole Congress, all the congressmen in, and women in the state need to be working with Governor Yunkin to make sure that we're getting the right legislation to support his initiatives. Uh, I was really happy to see Governor Young can win. Uh, that was a huge win, I felt, uh, overall. So that's exciting to see. Uh, we only have a few more minutes left. I just wanted to ask you two more questions. Uh, do you see this being a productive year for Republicans at the voting booth? And then this is a two-part question. Um, I, he- I hear a lot of Republicans say, due to the mess of the elections, whether true or false, whatever, uh, that they that why vote this time? And that's very concerning to me because if we don't have the Republicans come out to the polls, then we could be back in the same. So could you talk to me about how, um, if you think it's going to be a productive year for Republicans and also how do we get people back out to believe in the election system again, that we're going to need eventually anyways to get Republicans back into the positions that we want them in? Yeah, there are, there are a number. So I, I'll, I guess I'll talk about this a little backwards, but I think once Republicans take control of the Senate and the House, I think there do need to be hearings on a number of different topics. Um, And that not necessarily to change things or overturn things, but I think to get make sure we get ground truth in a number of areas so that we reestablish people's confidence in the process. And I think I think the voting process is one of those. I think um, 
Biden's laptop is another one. Hunter Biden's laptop is another one where I think it's important that we shine light on that and we let people regain confidence in the system. But having said that, I I really believe that you know President Biden, Jennifer Wexton, the Democrats have done such a poor job managing our country over the last year and a half, what will be almost two years going to election. I think even people who have doubts about the integrity of our system are going to um, are going to want to vote regardless because they're just going to be so desperate for change. So that's not a great place to be. I think the point of hearings after we win is to reestablish that confidence in our system. And that's one of, I think, the real negative sides of what you saw with um, with Twitter and Facebook deplatforming people is that by just silencing them, it really costs us credibility in the uh, in our in our system. And that's one of the things I think Republicans, without turning it into a, you know, a totally political uh, exercise, I think we just need to make sure people know what happened and that there's confidence that we understand that moving forward. Yeah, I agree. And I do, I, I personally do think it's going to be a great year for Republicans at the voting polls. Um, I'm excited. So I hope people do get out and vote and, um, and I want to wish you uh, luck in your campaign and uh, good luck in the primaries. I will be following you and I want to thank you for your time today, but before I let you go, is there anything else that you want our listeners, um, your, the voters in your district or just in general, other veterans to know before, um, I let you go because I know you're a busy man. Yeah, let, let me just finish up with kind of the there are three things I'm running on, which is the economy, a real focus on inflation, which I talked about, defense, which is really getting us prepared for that peer competitors uh, that we're, we're facing. But the third one is a freedom agenda. And there's lots of information on web, my website, DaveBeckwithForCongress.com. The core of that is, I, I talked about a little bit, was that 10th Amendment, getting the federal government out of our lives, pushing responsibility back to the states and the people. So as I look at new legislation, you know, there may be things that are even popular that people would, that you could get a, a commercial run against you because you didn't support it. But it's not a fact whether you support it or not at the federal level, it's whether the federal government should be doing that or not. So I'm going to be really looking for opportunities to push things down to the states. And I did just also want to say I'm a huge Bill of Rights supporter. So First Amendment, um, I, I really like what you're hearing from Elon Musk in terms of trying to turn Twitter back into a, a First Amendment realm where people are free to say what is on their mind, what they think, and we'll let free speech combat free speech. I'm also a Second Amendment supporter and also very, uh, I'm very, uh, right to life, pro-life, but there's a case where if Roe versus Wade was overturned, I wouldn't want to see any federal legislation either way. I'd want to see that, although the Hyde Amendment, those sorts of things I support, I'd like to see the states, each of the states be able to um, argue out where, where, we, where they're going to stand on, on abortion and the right to life. So that's uh, just another thing I want to mention to, to folks, make sure they know. It's a key part of why I'm running. All right. Well, thank you, sir, for being here today. And we will be keeping an eye on you and we'll post on Carrie and podcast our podcast together. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your involvement in uh, the free exchange of ideas. I think that's really important. 
and having you people, your voice is a really important voice to moving our nation forward and keeping our democracy safe. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you.